Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Buddha Pod. I'm Catherine. And I'm Andrew. Today, we'll be introducing the podcast and talking about why we started this program, and then go into our backgrounds as Buddhists. So, Andrew, tell me about your first inspiration for this podcast. Okay, let's put me on the spot here. Sure. <laughs> um, so I mean, I, it's your idea. Yeah, it was my idea. It's actually... This isn't my first pod, my first podcast. I've done one before, but schedules ended up changing, and that podcast ended up taking a very long break. But I was thinking that podcasts are really accessible to a lot of people, and I wanted one, especially focusing on younger Buddhist voices and sharing this sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. Since we're both college students and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel that. College is a time where you really discover yourself and your faith. And I've seen, like, for instance, on Facebook, I would see, like, my friends from high school, like, them getting really intense about their faith, like, in college or or on the other side, it would just, like, they would completely forget about it. And so, like, when you pitched me this idea about this podcast, I thought it was really cool because I think some people... I think in college, like, they're looking for something new. And so, like, this podcast is a really good way to, like, I guess, introduce people about Buddhism. And, like, if they have an interest in this, then, like, they don't have to go, like, read the sutras because that's really hard. Um, They can just listen to this and see, like, if it's right for them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I that reminds me of when I was first starting off as a young Buddhist quite a few years ago, there weren't very many resources like this online. And so I did start off reading sutras and that was probably not the best way to start. Um, (laughs) I remember it was because uh, I was at a temple event and I was reading the Heart Sutra, which I mean, to me still doesn't make a lot of sense at some parts, but like, I, I can't say that I really understand the full Heart Sutra, but At that point, I was just like, these are just words going over my head. I have no idea what this is saying right now. And so I think things like these, like podcasts, um, video lectures, uh, even introductory books to Buddhism are a lot more accessible to people and serve to guide people in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And for those listening who don't know about the Heart Sutra, it's this very concise piece of Buddhist scripture, and it contains basically all of the Buddhist teachings, but I mean, you can Google it online, like you're welcome to go read it, but it's definitely something that's not easily digestible, even though it's very short. It's one of the shortest um, sutras out there. So um, we might get to it at some point. Uh, I don't know. But for now, I think talking about like just our personal experiences with Buddhism and how it has helped us and like what we've learned from it, I think it's a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. So should we start with you and how you got into Buddhism? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so I started going to, okay, so background about me, I am, I was born in the U.S., But as I was growing up, I lived in Taiwan and also China, which were both predominantly, I would say, like 
Buddhist countries. And but I wasn't really Buddhist then. I think my family we had a statue of uh, Guanin Bodhisattva, uh, uh, also known as Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva. And that's like one of the most famous like Buddhist figures in the whole world, I would say. And but I don't I wouldn't even like categorize my family as Buddhist. They're probably just uh, superstitious, I would say. And they don't really know about like if you ask them, like, what's the vulnerable truth? What's the noble eightfold path? Like they wouldn't really know. And so I grew up in that kind of environment where temples were a norm and like Buddha statues were a norm, but I didn't really learn Buddhism. And in my adolescent years, I was actually a Christian. So I um, I lived with like different family friends and they were Christian. So I also went to church with them. Um, and I think I treated it more of like when I went to Bible study, I treated it more of as a just like a field of study, like a class. And I didn't really treat it as my faith per se. And and then like when I got into high school, like I started going to the temple that I go to now. And even then I wasn't really like I, w- I couldn't confidently say that I was a Buddhist, but being at the temple and not. Just like being around that environment and also like learning things from daily life. I think that's what really made me a Buddhist. And um, I guess the biggest step that I took was when last year when I was I was going into my uh, junior year of college and I just wanted to explore more about my faith and to find out what Buddhism was really all about. So I went to Taiwan and I did like this six month monastery school thing where I was cut off from the outside world and I just studied Buddhism in this school and studying alongside of nuns who they just they just renounced to become a Buddhist nun but they're also studying really hard and um, it gave me a taste of Buddhist life and it really inspired me to do more and give back to the community that gave me so much. So that's kind of where I am at now. Um, And like being a Buddhist in college, like in college is where I really intensified my practice. And it's really helped me a lot with like personal issues and like unexpected things and like different life changes, but I'm able to handle them better because of my Buddhist practice. Wow. So yeah, that's me. That's really cool. I mean, it's I think it's pretty like it's definitely not where like the conditions were so weird for me to like have stumbled onto this temple that I go to now. So I think it's like really fascinating and like you you can't really explain it with words. But I'm I'm really glad that like I'm able to come to this temple and like I'm glad that I had all the right um, the right conditions to be able to like volunteer at the temple and everything. So definitely. Yeah. And I think we'll get into talking about causes, conditions and all of that in a bit, too. Right. Yeah, for sure. So I should. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I should probably introduce myself. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, 
We do share some similarities. I mean, my family also had a statue of Guanyin of um, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva in our house, too. Um, but aside from that, there really wasn't much Buddhism going on. It was sort of a thing where we would go to the temple, say, once, maybe twice a year. It was never really a big part of the family, but it was just present. Um, and I was also born in the U.S., um, but I grew up my entire life in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon. So small, kind of small town, rainy area, similar to Seattle in terms of weather. But I started going to temple more just out of curiosity after going to um, some celebrations for the Lunar New Year. Uh, I wanted to find out a bit more, and that was also when I found out that there was such a thing called the Heart Sutra and got really confused about it. But it was mm -hmm. during that time when I started thinking that I wanted to understand Buddhism since it seemed to be relevant to my family. And I mean, it especially became relevant when I had a relative who passed away. I was freshman. So mm -hmm. I was a freshman in high school. Um, one of my relatives passed away. And so during the funeral process, Buddhism played a really large part of it. And I mean, I had never seen my family be as Buddhist as they were until that few week span that we did the funeral proceedings. Mm -hmm. And I was really intrigued. And so after that, I decided to sort of go to the temple more often. And I mean, part of this was built into the funeral process. We had to show up at the temple every week. And then after going there for a good seven weeks, I thought I might as well really find out more about this. So I started talking to uh, the local monks there. And this was a small little temple in Portland. And mm -hmm. of course, my Mandarin was not very good at the time. And I had just started taking Chinese classes. So was, communication was really difficult. But at one point, I found out enough to sort of be like, I think I really do want to spend more time with this. And so I didn't do a six-month program. I started off with a one-week retreat. And after that one-week retreat, I realized that this is something that I do want to continue. I really liked the practices, the lifestyle that I had at the monastery. And so I came back the following year and did another week. And this kind of continued every summer um, until I finished high school. And Again, with very strange conditions, I had actually um, applied and gotten into a college in Southern California, which is really close to the temple that I was doing retreats at. And while I was going to do a research project at the college uh, over the summer, somehow they lost my application. And they notified me in April or so saying that I didn't apply, even though I was really, really sure that I did. I even have the email receipt saying that I applied to this position, but I didn't get it. And so I had nothing to do over the summer. And I thought, you know, maybe it's best if I spend a few weeks at the temple. And it just so happened that there was an opportunity for me to spend six weeks living at the temple. And that really transformed how I approached the world. And it, or it changed how I approached college, too. And I think it's really benefited me. Um, but we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's 
that's actually a really fascinating story as well. Um, it's like, it's sometimes, I think what I caught from your story is the part about the funeral. Um, cause I think, oh, sorry, my phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, the funeral, because a lot of people in Asia, that's what they associate Buddhism with. And that's what I mean when I say that my parents or culturally they are superstitious and like they're culturally Buddhist. So they, they associate Buddhism with like death and like, um, pessimism and just staying in the mountains. But once I started getting involved with my temple in Orlando, it's, um, it's really opened my eyes to how like the future is full of possibilities in the Buddhist point of view. So like, that's, what really helped me and um uh, I wanted to ask um what is it about the six month or even like the one week retreat that changed like some of your behavior or like some of your outlook on life <laughs> so I'll start with the one week one so um my first retreat was the short-term monastic retreat um and this is held at least for kids which is the group that I did it with I did this at Shilai Temple in Hacienda Heights. And so my first week there, I was under the impression, and it's true, like we go and we have our heads shaved, we become novice monks for a week. And it was my first real, I would say like intensive Buddhist experience. And even though it was adapted, the curriculum was completely adapted for young kids, I really appreciated the sort of discipline, the sort of habit, the routine that go that went into life, uh, life there. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I've never really been much of a morning person, but I felt like even though every day was so busy at the temple, and this is true of all of the retreats I've done, even though life is so busy, and even though waking up is done very very early in the morning. I never really felt tired. And that was something that I really amazed myself with. Oh, my gosh. I actually, oh, my Buddha. (laughs) But that is actually, I relate to, that's something that I relate to so much because while I was away in um, the Taiwan monastery, Foguangshan in Kaohsiung, um, that's what I, I guess we were, we were living life so routinely but every day was like a full day. Like you cannot waste a second or a minute there. Like life was so busy there. But I always felt like really energized. And sometimes I would even wake up before the signals, which is the drum and the bell. That There's this huge drum and bell on either side of our school. And they would they would hit it in the morning and before we went to sleep. And it's just I could never I never realized that life could be so simple with like because a lot of times I worry like after I came back from the Buddhist college, like I worry about a lot of things like my grades and um, my family and stuff like that, just little things. But when I was there, I could really utilize my time and not waste my time on um, like swiping my phone or something. (laughs) You have no phone to swipe. Yeah, exactly. They take all that away from you. But I mean, part of like, before I went to the retreat, I was really worried. I was thinking like, will, and at that time I had just got, 
I just got a smartphone. And so I was thinking that, will I be able to last a week without my smartphone? But hey, I've lasted how many years before smartphones existed in my life? It was perfectly right. fine without it. And so I think sort of the difference, um, and we both started our Buddhist path sort of um, through these retreat programs. I think being able to live a simple life and realize that there is so much value in living a simple life, that living a simple life doesn't mean living a boring life, and that living a simple life doesn't mean living a meaningless life. Every day at the monastery, like you said, was packed full with things. And I think that each day there was so valuable to me. Whereas here, honestly, I might have everything that I want to do, but I don't get up until, say, 11 a.m. And there goes half a day wasted. Right. There's no motivation there. And I think also what I learned is that I learned to be more mindful of my time and also more grateful for every day that I was able to wake up and just like you said, we both experience like this busy lifestyle, but there are some moments where you just kind of realize that there's nature around you and you can, you're more mindful of other things bigger than yourself. And that's what really changed my perspective on a lot of things. Instead of just, I think a lot of worry that I have now is self-centered and related to myself, which is normal. But um, when I'm at the monastery is like, I can, I have to be aware of other people and be mindful of other people. And so it made me a better like team player, I would say. Definitely. Oh my gosh. So before spending time at a Buddhist monastery, I never thought much of lining up. But when you do it like 20 times a day and you're always waiting for one or two people it becomes really annoying. And I remember when I was at the monastery, I was just thinking like, oh my goodness, how long is it going to take them? Like everybody else is already in line, hurry up. <laughs> um, but then sometimes I would be the one who would be last. And like, it made me sort of be more self-conscious about what I was doing and whether or not I was managing my time well, because that would affect all of my neighbors and all of the other people in my class. And then Actually, my favorite part about living in the monastery would be mealtimes. And not, not just because the food was great, but more because I had never really spent that much time thinking about my food. So whenever we have meals in the monastery, we would start with um, a sort of offering prayer. And personally, I don't necessarily like sharing my food. But to have that sort of symbolic idea of offering this food, sharing it with not just one or two people, but with all beings and having that intention has slowly transformed me. And now, now I do share food. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing was just as we were eating, we would think about where the food comes from. And I thought that that was a really good practice too, to make me sort of be more appreciative of the food. And also once I was appreciative of it, naturally I just stopped wasting food and really only took as much as mm -hmm. I could eat. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. Um, I think like the part about I think when you said like when you when you were the one that was late, um, it, I think on a bigger scale, too, when we interact with people like face to face, sometimes we forget to think from another person's perspective. Um, and in a monastery, like everyone is living together and everyone has to interact with everyone every day. 
So there's no, there's really no hiding to your own room and think about your problems or like sulk because you share a room with like 10 other people. And I think like just from the lining up, you can learn a lot about like interpersonal connections and like how to deal with people on a day-to-day basis. Just thinking from their perspective, it'll make your life and also their life a lot easier because you're not just thinking about yourself and what you need. And I think that's what we need sometimes when we talk about when we have disagreements or like when we're having an argument, the understanding really needs to be there for our relationships to go smoothly. Definitely. Yeah. But I was thinking as we were talking about our experiences in Buddhism and how both of them have to do with intensive retreats. Most people, I would say, don't have the opportunity to do these retreats, though. Um, and I know I that, I mean, I wish that more people had the ability to do these retreats, but I know that a lot of people, especially for college students are busy over the summer. There are internships, there's research, there's so many things competing that a lot of times spending a month at a monastery is just not a possibility. Right. So I was thinking we should probably talk about things that our listeners can do very concretely um, wherever they might be. Okay, I think that's a good start. Um, First of all, I would say go visit a temple and and, um, if you haven't been to one yet and just really try to make connections and with the people there and see where, you know, what their community is like. Um, so me and Andrew, we actually belong to the same temple. We're just at different branch temples. So our headquarters is located in um, Taiwan, where where I had my Buddhist retreat, and we're different coasts. So, um, but if you, but I know that our temples, we don't have branch temples like everywhere. So if you can find a Buddhist temple, um, definitely go and learn about like. I guess like talk to the talk to the monastics there and see what you can do to start out. Like there's usually at temples, they have like meditation classes or like just classes about Buddhism because you can't really you can do your online research, but there's not the feel of like being at a monastery. And I think the atmosphere of a temple will kind of calm your mind and like change your attitude on things already. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think a lot of people are most familiar with the practice of meditation. So if you can start like meditation, you can start little, you can start like one minute or two minutes a day. Like that's definitely helpful as well. What are your, what are you, what is your advice on this, Andrew? I would agree. I think that nowadays there are temples everywhere, essentially. Um, And I mean, for people who live in rural areas, it might not be very close by. But I think in every major city in the U.S., there should be a temple. And while there are a lot of different schools of Buddhism, I think the best way to start is really just by starting with what you have. 
So for example, I didn't start with um, Fo Guangshan, this organization, this monastery. I started off in Portland where there is no branch. So I just went to the local temple for a good five, six years um, before I came down to Los Angeles for college. And during that time, I was able to uh, interact with a, quite a variety of Buddhist organizations. Portland is a very, um, I guess, popular place for Buddhism. And so I would go to a Chinese temple, say, on Sundays. And then on Thursday nights, I would actually go to Buddhism classes at, um, quite interestingly enough, um, a Presbyterian church. So they would meet oh, wow. yeah, in the basement of a Presbyterian church. And so I would go there for a Thursday night Buddhism classes uh, in a Japanese tradition. And then on Saturdays, I would go to a Zen uh, temple. And so there were a lot of groups. And I think I learned some things from each group. And eventually, I sort of hovered and I spent a lot of my time at the Chinese temple, the Chinese Mahayana temple, which is why I found um, Fo Guangshan really appealing to me when I went to Los Angeles. Uh, they're very similar. Well, I guess they're the same, actually. So there's that. And I think the other thing is that there's, at least for me, when I was first starting, there was a lot of uncertainty as to where to start, what to start with. But really, I think the best thing to do is to start. Um, it takes a lot of things to be in order for anybody to have exposure to Buddhism. I mean, even today, Buddhism isn't a really, really major religion. It's up there. But there aren't that many people who know about Buddhism or really have the will or sort of the motivation to understand it. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you want to know something more about Buddhism. And I think that's a really great mm -hmm. uh, aspiration or motivation to have. And so take charge of it. Um, take it while you have this motivation and while you have the resources to find whatever it is that's in your area and get involved um, here and now. Yeah, I think what you just said about starting something because I'm a huge procrastinator and before I have to start anything, I do my thorough research. Like I check my grade before I start an assignment as if that would change my grade. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, you know, like in our human mind, I feel like we often do things that are against what's really good for us. And like, and just sometimes you might be uncertain and sometimes, you know, you might be scared, but it really is to, it really is best to just take that moment and take that first step and you never know where you'll end up. Like you don't know where, where conditions are and where, and where it could take you. But for me, it definitely, um, choosing, well, I didn't choose to go to my temple. My aunt took me, <laughs> but choosing later on in life to get involved is definitely the best choice that I've made in my young adult life. So, yeah, I agree with Andrew and definitely go check out a local temple um, and don't be scared. You might not speak the same language as them, uh, but, you know, as, as long as you go in with an open mind, I think everyone will be welcoming. Definitely. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that no matter what tradition of Buddhism you're interested in, 
I think starting off at any Buddhist temple will help. Um, a lot of the methods might be different, but there are also so many similarities. And I think building a solid foundation in any Buddhism is easily transferable to other schools too. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, later on we'll talk about, you know, why there are different schools of Buddhism. Um, and it really is to just suit people's needs, like whatever people need, like that's where, that's how it transforms into this school. So um, find the one, even if your first experience with Buddhism um, is not like what you were hoping for, I would say keep looking because there are so many different ways that Buddhism is taught, but essentially it's all underneath it all, the teaching is the same. Definitely, yeah. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about for today's episode? Um, I wanted to, actually, I had a question that I was holding. Uh, what oh, okay. made you? Yeah, I just thought of it. I I forgot <laughs> during the middle, and then I remembered again. Um, what attracted you to Foguangshan, like specifically? Like what you said that it really appealed to you like what part of it okay so this is going to sound a bit strange but the thing that appealed to me the most was um the chanting services originally oh I, interesting it was a very strange thing because when i went to shilai temple for the first time um it was actually partly in relation to um, my recently deceased relative. And while it Shilai Temple didn't do the funeral, but we were going there as like sort of to prepare for the funeral and like get advice on things and whatnot. Um, and on one of those days, we ended up staying for the Sunday service. And what really attracted me was sort of the melody and it just felt really soothing. And that's my first start. And that's how I um, decided that I wanted to come back and learn more. Oh, wow. I would say you had really good conditions in the past because that's not how I felt about chanting. <laughs> <laughs> so how I, so how I started with a Fogonshan temple, because there's one in Orlando and it just happened to be really close to my house. And so that's a good condition there. Um, but I, my aunt took me to temple at first. So I was not, like, I was not, I was forced to go, <laughs> basically. And so I, in the beginning, though, um, the, the monastic there, the um, abbess, Venerable, her name is Venerable Jiafan. And she just, she saw me you know, a little kid not doing, not knowing what she's doing. And she would like ask me to do like these small tasks, like typing up library labels for her or just like washing the dishes or something. And I think from a young age of doing that, that really helped me um, learn how to be responsible and also let me, um, I guess, get in touch with Buddhism in the way that that's not apparent. Like, because I didn't really know that she was trying to teach me Buddhism she just like let me volunteer but there are things like when she's teaching me she would be really patient and she wouldn't force me to do like she wouldn't put too much on me at once so 
it's kind of her way of bringing me into the temple and um but not really like pushing it so she never tries to convert anyone and just um like just this week she had this lady come in and ask her if she could talk to her but she but the lady made it really clear that she's not buddhist she doesn't want to convert to buddhism but she just needed someone to talk to and she said and our venerable said yes like of course i'll talk to you my goal is never to convert anyone so i really felt that as a child or looking back on it now i can see that that's what she was doing but it also taught me a lot about responsibility and how like temple could be a good place for me to grow so and then college happened and then yeah <laughs> the Buddhist program. <laughs> I think it just progressed really fast from there. Actually, um, now that we're on this topic, I have a question for you too. And okay, it's just that I wanted to ask how you went from being a Christian growing up to being a Buddhist now. Okay. Um, so when I was, I wasn't just any Christian. I was a Jehovah's Witness. And, like, I know they're, like, notorious for, like, going door to door on people's houses. But um, I was living with that family friend at the time, and she just took us to church. And I thought that I identified as a Christian, and I thought that the Bible was really interesting. And, um, like, because I didn't really read the Bible. I read, like, this book that had pictures in it and it was like it was telling stories from the Bible. So I read it and I thought that it was really interesting, but I couldn't say like now looking back on it, I don't think I was I could confidently believe like I can't confidently say that I believed in God, if you know what I mean. Like <laughs> I think I just treated it as like something that I was studying and of course, being at that age, too, I don't think I had a strong sense of, you know, I, I I am religion. I just because I was in that environment, then I kind of just immersed and I became Christian. And I would tell people that, yeah, I'm Christian. But, you know, and and even that was the case, too, when I first came to this temple, like I couldn't. I wouldn't confidently say that I'm a Buddhist. I was just like, oh, I go to this temple. but it was when I really started to get in touch, like learn the teachings of Buddhism that it really resonated with me. I really agreed with it. And that's when I really decided to declare that I'm a Buddhist loud and proud. So I wasn't a super devout Christian. I was a kid. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Yeah. But that's, that's my, yeah, that's my journey kind of, I religion hopped and then, yeah, now I'm a Buddhist. So sounds good. Um, The last thing I think we should close on, though, is the topic of conditions. So this is something that we said at the beginning of the podcast that we'd come back to. And we've been kind of throwing around this term throughout the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think we should talk about it a bit more in the sense that the idea of causes and conditions in Buddhism, that nothing just happens for no reason. There's always a cause. There's always actually many causes, many conditions, a lot of things coming together that allow 
for things to happen. And so, for example, we've been using it in this episode sort of as the causes and conditions that led us to become Buddhist. So mm -hmm. just taking that apart and looking into how, for me at least, how I became a Buddhist. Well, I would say one of the big parts of it was um, my relative passing away. Um, but then my relative could have passed away, but we wouldn't have done a Buddhist funeral. But it was also because of my family's background and that they wanted a Buddhist funeral. Okay, so you have two things going on there. Right. And then it just so happens that the day that we went to the temple to talk about the funeral, we also stayed for the Sunday service. And so if we hadn't done that, I probably also wouldn't have been very interested. But we stayed and then I was interested. And they also happened to have an advertisement at that time for the summer retreat. And so when I saw yeah. that, I was thinking, hmm, well, maybe I'll come back later. And so later that summer or later that year, I came back. And so all of these things happening one after another and sort of if something had gone differently, things would be really different right now. But it's because of all of these conditions coming together that we are what we are today. Yeah, we're making this podcast together. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think we should also talk about all of the causes and conditions that came into this podcast. Because <laughs> all of it was so surreal. Like, I never thought that I would meet you. You live a good thousand so miles away from me. Um, we're not even in the same time zone. Like, what the heck? Yeah, um, I know. We don't even live. In, we all live on literally opposite coasts of the United States. Um, I guess how I met you was what you what month is this? I met you last year in July, right? Oh yeah. After yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back. Yeah, that was my first time meeting you and we never even talked in person except that one time that I don't really remember. Oh yeah. Um, so that wasn't a very long conversation either. It was just we had passed by each other in Los Angeles at the temple. And I think I said something like, Hey, aren't you the person who just came back from Taiwan? And you were like, yeah. And then we walked off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then we like, and then you, and then we became friends on Facebook and then we talked like over Facebook messenger, but like, I've never even, well, I saw you because there was also a retreat going on and you were the translator. Oh, that's right. And that's so, how I met you. Yeah. 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 And I thought it was weird because you just kept looking at me and I was like, what's the deal with this guy? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, and then I found out you were the translator and apparently you do this at every retreat. Um, so that's really cool that, cause like, okay, so how I'm involved with my temple also is that I'm the president of the youth group at the temple called Young Young Adult Division. And so why I was at Shilai Temple was because of this conference that they were having last year. So if it wasn't for me being involved in Yad and going to Taiwan and or and going to Shilai Temple, I would have never met you. And if the retreats weren't on the same days, then yeah, we would have just passed by each other. Causes and conditions, of course. But uh, I guess this is also the time to sort of thank everybody who's helped bring this podcast to life. I mean, we have a very beautiful website, thanks to um, some of my Dharma friends in Portland. And we have a very beautiful logo because I reached out to a Buddhist artist and he finished this logo in a week. And Oh, I'm, yeah, the logo is amazing. <laughs> I'm really happy at how it turned out. And I'm really surprised that all of this came together. I never imagined when I talked to you about the, the podcast at first, I never thought it would be 
this big of a thing. I thought it would just be like the two of us talking and then having like maybe two views ever. Oh yeah, that's what I thought at the beginning too. I mean, at the time when you pitched the idea to me, it was like kind of during the middle of the semester. And I was really unsure because like of my schedule, but you know, now that finals are over, we could do this and hopefully keep it up. Is there anything that we, anything else that we want to talk about before we end today? Oh yeah. What's our website? Oh, budapod.org. Yes. And that is, I shouldn't have to spell it out. Yeah. But yeah. it's B-U-D-D-H-A-P-O-D.org. Yes. So. All right. Well, it's been a really good conversation and I've had such a good time talking with you today, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me on this project. And I'm really excited of how things are going to turn out in the future. No, definitely. Yeah. I think it would be really weird and awkward if this podcast was just me. So thank you for also being the other half of this podcast. Um, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So to all of you listening, we'll see you again next week. If you have any sort of comments, questions, ideas that you want to pitch to us for future episodes, just shoot us an email through the website or through our Facebook. Um, and one last time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Catherine. Thanks for listening Thank to Budapod and <laughs> see you next week.